This is the One Verse Podcast, where we liberate scripture from religion one verse at a time. Welcome to another episode of the One Verse Podcast. I am Jeremy Myers. Hey, many ancient religions were focused around the worship of the sun, the moon, and the stars. We see a lot of that even still today with uh, annual religious holidays and festivals. Sometimes what we don't realize today is that those were often guided by the length of the days or the nights, uh, and the movement of the sun across the sky. Uh, You know, 12 months of the year even. Those are based on the waxing and waning of the moon. Even the names of our weekdays are often uh, named after certain celestial bodies. So it's no surprise that when Moses sets out to differentiate the worship of Yahweh from the various religions of his day, he specifically targeted the worship of the sun, the moon, and the stars. That's what we're going to see today from Genesis 1, 14 through 19. And uh, you will be fascinated by what you learn, so stay tuned for more. Now, before we look at Genesis 1, 14 through 19, though, I, I want to share with you something that I got on Facebook this week. I received a Facebook message from, uh, pardon me if I say this wrong, but it's, I think it's Anne Swa Van Zyl. She lives in South Africa, and uh, she asked if I could put more podcasts out more often, you know, more than just once a week, as I've been doing. I told her that uh, each episode takes me about 10 hours to study, prepare it, record it, edit it, publish it, all of that. And uh, so unless I get much faster, there's no way I can do more than one per week. Uh, and even that is sometimes a challenge. Anyway, she wrote this. Thanks for the reply and for being such a great teacher. Thank you. Uh, that's that's helpful. Thank you. Um, encouraging. Anyway, she said... Uh, Being well-prepared is important, but I really look forward to the next time. And after I did the math, nor you or me might be here when you are done. (laughs) Well, she's right. Uh, And maybe you've noticed that too. Other people have noticed it. In fact, I did an interview with another podcaster about a week ago. I'll tell you more about that when it gets published, who that was and uh, how you can go listen to that interview. He interviewed me for his podcast. Anyway, he pointed out the same thing. He said he did the math and uh, at my current rate, it's going to take me 500 years to get through the entire Bible. Are you planning on being here? (laughs) Well, good luck with that. Anyway, I told the interview and this is what I told Ansois and uh, what I'm telling you. Look, there's no way, I recognize it, no way I can cover the entire Bible at my current pace. So what I've decided to do is I'm going to skip around a little bit. My current plan is uh, to get through Genesis 4, and then after that I'm going to move into John 1. Uh, We'll look at that chapter, opening verses anyway, maybe the first half or so. And then from there we're going to jump up to Revelation 4 and 5. And the reason that I'm doing that is because I believe that these seven chapters, opening four chapters of Genesis, John 1, and then Revelation 4 and 5, really sort of present a good um, big-picture overview of the message of the Bible. Uh, Genesis 1 through 4 and and Revelation 4 and 5 are sort of, in my perspective, the bookends of the Bible, and uh, they provide a good foundation for understanding the rest of the Bible. And then John 1, it's in the middle, and it, it provides a good transition between those bookends. Anyway, so uh, have no fear. (laughs) We're not going to be stuck in Genesis for years and years and years to come. We will be moving around. Now, if you want to interact with me the same way Ansois did, 
Uh, you can do that in a variety of ways. Uh, I'm, I'm on Facebook, of course, and Twitter. There'll be links to those in the show notes. You can always, of course, leave a comment about the individual episodes. Uh, today's show notes and the comment section can be found at redeeminggod.com slash Genesis 1, 14 through 19, P2. That's for part two. This is part two. Uh, and of course, you can always leave a rating and review on iTunes. So, uh, oh, one last thing. Before we get to today's show, I want to mention that uh, this show is brought to you by Theology.fm. This is another podcast, and uh, it features popular podcasters, speakers, authors, Bible teachers, theologians, scholars, and things like that. And uh, I'm working with them to bring to you some of their best ideas and teachings. Um, my thinking, uh, the ones I've chosen, these these contributors, my thinking has been greatly affected and influenced by them. And so I want to share with you some of the things I have learned from them. Um, so that th- those recordings, those uh, teachings are found at Theology.fm. In fact, uh, just yesterday I recorded an episode which features uh, the the... Probably the leading New Testament scholar in the world today. It's N.T. Wright. And uh, he gave a great lecture on how to understand Jesus and the Gospels. That's his specialty. And uh, it's a fantastic lecture that he gave that was at Yale Divinity School. I highly recommend that you hear what he has to say. Anyway, you can uh, get that episode and all the others over at theology.fm or just simply search for theology.fm on iTunes or simply theology. Search for theology. It comes up on iTunes there as well. Uh, Anyway, with that in mind, let us turn once again to Genesis 1, 14 through 19 to see how Moses differentiated Yahweh from the gods and goddesses of Egypt, Babylon, and Canaan. Now, you may recall that in the last episode, in part one, when we looked at Genesis, we began to look at Genesis 1, 14 through 19, we saw that it's very, very difficult to read these verses from a scientific perspective. We saw that uh, Moses is saying God provided the lights in the sky for our benefit, Um, And what he describes, if you try to interpret it scientifically, you're going to end up with problems, especially with problems with how the sun, the moon, and stars function and where they are located and other details like that. So in today's show, we are going to really focus in, though, on what Moses was saying and and specifically to the Hebrew people of his time, and uh, more specifically still, how Genesis 1, 14 through 19 is a polemic against the various religions of his day. Now, uh, on on that word polemic, uh, um, I I don't know. I was reviewing this with my wife this week, and she said, are you sure your readers know what that word polemic means? Uh, So if if you don't, let me sort of uh, define it for you a little bit. I tried to find another word, and there just isn't another word for polemic. So uh, basically, a polemic is when uh, a person is writing against the beliefs or practices of another person, or, or maybe of a group of people, uh, such as a religion, maybe. Uh, anyway, so, and the way it's, it's written, a way a polemic is written, is they often use terms, ideas, uh, similar uh, words, maybe, that the other group or the other person uses, but they use them in a way that turns them upside down, turns them around backwards. And basically the point then is to use the terms, ideas, and words of that other group to show 
his audience or her audience or her readers, his readers, whatever, how wrong that other person or other group is. So with that sort of in mind, uh, uh, that's what I'm convinced Genesis 1 is. Now, I'm not so convinced that is what Genesis 2 is. Uh, we'll get into that more when we get to Genesis 2. But Genesis 1, and through verse uh, chapter 2, verse 3 anyway, I'm convinced is a polemic against uh, one of the central features of the religions in Moses' day and uh, th- that the Hebrew people were familiar with. So to understand Genesis 1, and, specific, and especially the verses we're looking at today, Genesis 1, 14 through 19, It's critical to remember that Moses and the Israelites, they weren't a clean slate. They're not coming to Genesis 1 or what Moses had to say with with no knowledge of what the surrounding nations, the surrounding cultures, the surrounding religions believed and taught. You just think about it for a minute. Uh, Moses himself was raised and taught by the Egyptians. He went to the best Egyptian schools of his day. He was taught by the best Egyptian priests, I suppose we could say. The Israelites, uh, they weren't a clean slate either. They had been living in Egypt under Egyptian taskmasters and rulers and slave rulers for, for 400, over 400 years. And they had been taught, I'm sure, over and over, mocked and ridiculed. Oh, your God's nobody. Your God's no powerful. Our God's, our Egyptian God's are way more powerful than yours because you are our slaves. Why do you worship them? You know, you can just imagine those sorts of things were uh, that, what, what they had been told. And now that they have left Egypt, they are uh, looking towards entering into the land of Canaan, which uh, they called the promised land. And they had become, in the process, certainly very familiar with some of the religious beliefs and practices that were going on in Canaan. And not only this, but you even go back a little bit further, uh, Abraham, the, the father, the forefather of, of the Hebrew people, and, and the person that was really focused on in the entire story of Genesis itself, where does he come from? Well, he came out of Ur. Of what? Of Babylon. The Hebrew people are rooted in the beliefs and practices of Babylon. That's where their ancestors and their forefathers came from. So we have these three religions and cultures, and that's why I've been focusing on them. The Babylonians, the Egyptians, and the Canaanites. That is the religions and the people, the practices uh, that the Hebrew people and that Moses himself would have been aware of. Uh, They were, and I've said this before, they were completely ignorant of Charles Darwin and the theory of evolution. All right, so uh, look, if you want to read Genesis 1 as a refutation of Charles Darwin and the theory of evolution, fine, go ahead. Uh, But you must understand, you must, must, must understand that if you are doing that, you are reading something into the text that Moses and the original Hebrew audience never would have imagined. Moses did not intend Genesis 1 to be a refutation of evolution. If you want to read it that way, you go right ahead, but you must understand you're doing that against the text and against the the, uh, meaning, the intention of the original author and in a way that the original audience never would have understood it. Genesis 1 isn't against evolution. It's against the gods and goddesses, the religions of Egypt, Canaan, and Babylon. So that's what we're going to look at today. Uh, what each group taught about the sun, moon, and stars, and how Moses refutes them, how Moses writes a polemic against them. So uh, let's let's begin with the beliefs of the Canaanites. 
you may recall that in a previous episode, we looked, uh, I think it was Genesis 1, 11 through 13, uh, I introduced you to the Baal cycle. Do you remember that? It was uh, this cycle, this Canaanite belief system about how plants grew every year and how these were related to this yearly cycle of Baal's death and resurrection. He, he fought this battle and, and uh, was raised back to life with the help of his sister and who was also his wife. Anyway, you may remember that. Go, if, you, if you didn't hear it, go back, listen to the episode, the show, uh, the study on Genesis 1, 11 through 13. <clears throat> Uh, In that show, or in that study, we saw that Moses was showing that the plants didn't grow seed and reseeds because God, the Baal, the gods, died and rose again. No, uh, Moses was showing there that the plants sprouted, grew, died, and reseeded because Yahweh made them that way. Yahweh created the plants to do that. They have their seeds in themselves. That's the uh, phrase that's repeated over and over. Now, uh, because the previous verses we're referencing and refuting were a polemic against the Canaanite Baal cycle, Moses, I'm convinced, Moses is continuing in Genesis 1, 14 through 19 to refute other elements of the Canaanite belief system. The Canaanites, uh, we hear an awful lot about Baal in the Bible, in uh, books like Joshua and Judges. Uh, in other places, but um, uh, Baal was not the primary deity of the Canaanite belief system. The primary deity, the chief deity, was uh, known, his name was El, and El was symbolized by a bull. Sort of confusing because Baal is also symbolized by a bull, but but, uh, anyway, uh, you may recall from the uh, Exodus account that when the Israelites are at the base of Mount Sinai, do you remember what they built? Moses has been up there. They think he's not coming back. So what do they do? They construct a bull and they worship it. And what do they say? They say, this is the God that has brought us out of Egypt. Hmm. I wonder, do you think it's possible that they were worshiping El, this Canaanite deity, I mean, after all, they knew they were entering or headed towards Canaan, entering into the land of Canaan. And so maybe they were trying to get on El's good side. Hey, El, thank you for bringing us out of Egypt. We're coming into your land and we're going to worship you now in advance so that when we get there, uh, you will love us and take care of us and provide for us. Hmm, could be. Text doesn't say for sure who this bull was supposed to represent. But uh, since El and Baal were both symbolized by a bull, it uh, makes sense. Anyway, um, in the Canaanite religious literature, El is frequently referred to as the father of time. You can look up the story of Akhat, A-Q-H-A-T, to read more about that. Uh, El is the one who created time, and uh, he made the sun, the moon, and the stars, to provide the means of counting days, weeks, months, seasons, and years. That's all in the story of Akkad. So anyway, here, what we see in Genesis 1, 14 through 19, is not a Canaanite El, but the Israelite Elohim, who gets credit for creating time and giving lights. And by the way, I've been referring to Elohim as Yahweh, 
and that's because Yahweh is sort of the personal name. Elohim simply means um, God. In fact, El means God also, sort of a generic God, the God. Elohim is, is the, the Hebrew term for it. And, and you might hear that. In fact, you might hear the, the similarity, El, Elohim. In fact, you probably also heard pastors, theologians, scholars, Bible teachers say Elohim is the plural of uh, El. And, and from a Hebrew language perspective, that's true. And so some people say, see, see, uh, this is a reference to the Trinity. Well, again, I, we have to understand or look at the words the way Moses and the original audience would have understood them. And I don't think, I don't think Elohim is a reference to the Trinity. Uh, it, this is, Moses is not teaching that, that God, the Hebrew God, is three in one. They believed and they still believe that God is one. They didn't believe in the Trinity. So I, I don't think Moses was trying to teach the Trinity. Instead, what I think Moses is doing uh, is uh, he, he's making Elohim as, it's called the intensive form. It's sort of an intensive form of El. Uh, Moses is taking this, he, this, this Canaanite chief deity, El, and saying that the God of the Hebrews is not just El, he is Elohim. And you could understand it as he is the God of gods, the the, the, the king of kings. He's, he's the only God in whom, I guess you could say, in, all, in, in whom all the gods of all the other religions are um, fulfilled. You know, something sort of like that. It, or, or put it this way. Moses is saying, hey, Hebrew people, you know how the Egyptians and the Babylonians and the Canaanites, they've got one God for the sun, one God for the moon, one God for the rain, one God for the harvest, one God for love, one God for war, so on? Well, we don't have one God for each of those things. We only have one God. And all the functions, the sun, the moon, the stars, the rain, love, war, all of that stuff is wrapped up in, in, and fulfilled in our one God, consolidated into our one God, Elohim. He is the God of gods, the only God, the one God. So, so that's why I think Moses is referring to God as Elohim. Which, again, in Hebrews, in Hebrew language, some people say it's a plural, so it could be translated gods, but I don't think that's best. Moses is saying this is the God of gods, the only God, the one God, the chief, you know, the, the only, he's the only God. So, and he's, he deserves to be worshipped far more than El, the chief God of the Canaanites. In fact, by the time the Hebrew people entered into Canaan, El really wasn't worshipped much. Baal was worshipped. Uh, and Baal, by the way, means son of God. Uh, Baal, you can probably hear that means. It means son of God. He was, in fact, in, in the Canaanite pantheon, he was El's son. So it's not just, uh, anyway, that's the Canaanite myth. Uh, El was accredited with creating sun, moon, and stars, and time, and seasons, and days, and months, and years. And Moses is saying, no, it wasn't El, it was Elohim who did all that. All right, so that's the Canaanite religion. Uh, Babylonian. You may recall that the Babylonians, uh, their religion was focused around this myth called the Enuma Elish. Talked about it a lot. Uh, in the Enuma Elish, you may recall, the god Marduk. He's the main creator deity. He, he doesn't begin that way. In fact, he begins as sort of a minor deity, but because he wages war against Tiamat and battles and defeats her, uh, he becomes the chief deity, and uh, because of his battle, uh, his victory, and because he becomes the chief deity, 
uh, he is the one who creates the universe. Um, the, the waters below and the waters above and the sun, moon, and stars and all of those things. And uh, in the fifth tablet of the uh, Babylonian creation myth, it has seven tablets, which, by the way, that's interesting, seven days of creation, but uh, the Babylonian creation myth has seven tablets. Uh, in the fifth tablet, anyway, we read uh, this. Uh, it says he, it's talking about Marduk, he made the stations for the great gods, the stars, their images, as the signs of the zodiac he fixed. He ordained the year, and into sections he divided it. For the twelve months he fixed three stars. And then later it says, The moon god he caused to shine forth, the night he entrusted to him. He appointed him a being of the night to determine the days. Every month without ceasing, with the crown he covered him. Anyway, the text goes on. I'm not going to read the whole thing. The text goes on from there to talk about the weeks and months and years and how the moon god works with the sun god to arrange times and seasons. There's a lot missing from the fifth tablet, but from what we have, it, it basically shows us that uh, Marduk, according to the Babylonian belief system, Marduk is the one who created all this stuff. So uh, Moses then, obviously, he's using similar terminology and ideas as those found in the Numa Elish but in a way that doesn't point to multiple gods, you know, each one for a moon, one for each star, one for, you know, all that stuff. No, but to one God, Elohim, who later is named Yahweh. Uh, And furthermore, and I don't know if you picked this up, but in the Enuma Elish, the stars are listed first, then the moon, and then the sun. Moses is, uh, in, in his account, he reverses this order. He's, he puts the sun first, then the moon, and then the stars. And that's important because uh, Babylonians were sort of a star-based religion, and um, Moses uh, is not saying that we're not a, a celestial body-based religion at all. We're a God, a Elohim, Yahweh-based religion. Uh, so the stars get the place of honor. And in fact, if you notice, did you notice, uh, if you have your Bible, what, what role, what place do the stars get? In Genesis 1, 14 through 19. Uh, you notice there in verse 16, the stars get almost no place. They're almost sort of thrown in as an afterthought. Moses just writes, eh, he made the stars also. That's it. It's the only mention of the stars. So uh, that's how uh, Genesis 1, 14 through 19 is a polemic against the gods of Babylon. All right. How about Egypt then? Well, it's the same with the Egyptian creation accounts. There's uh, one hymn to Amun-Ra that uh, refers to him as you who created the years, joined months together, days, nights, hours occur according to your footsteps. Uh, One of the key features of the Egyptian creation accounts is uh, that it all occurs on one day. Um, In the Egyptian creation accounts, the sun god emerged out of this watery abyss, and then it climbs in the sky and travels across the sky, And as he does so, he creates everything below. And then at the end of the day, he descends uh, into the watery chaos once again. And the Egyptians believed that when the sun descended into the western water, back into the watery chaos, um, it was sort of uh, entering into death, into a a nightly battle with the sea serpent god, another god of, of the Egyptian pantheon. And what happened is all night long, the sun god and the sea serpent god, they battle each other until in the morning, the sun god is victorious and it rises once again in the east. 
and then it reenacts the entire creation account every single day. So the Egyptians believed, uh, and you just put yourself in the Egyptian shoes on this, every night when the sun goes down, a little bit of fear, a little bit of doubt, a little bit of worry, trepidation enters into your heart, and you wonder, is the sun god going to defeat the serpent god again tonight? If not, there is no tomorrow. If not, that sunset in the West could be the end of the world. Just imagine what that does to you. Going to bed every night, not knowing if there will be a tomorrow. You read Genesis 1, 14-19, and Moses is clearly writing against that sort of idea. He's writing to present Yahweh to the Israelites as better and more powerful than the gods of Egypt. He's saying God's not battling anyone every night just so there might be a tomorrow, just so there might be another dawn. Moses is saying that with Yahweh as their God, they don't have to wonder. So uh, that's the Egyptian. Um, Moses, he's writing this anti-religious polemic against the common religions of his day. Uh, The the text is uh, strongly anti-mythical. It's a polemic against astral religion. That's what Hazel says. You can read his article. I've got that in the show notes also. Um, in, in one just, just masterful description here in Genesis 1, 14 through 19, Moses has shown that Yahweh is superior, better, more powerful to any god or goddess found in Canaan, Babylon, Egypt, and, and, and basically the Hebrew people have nothing to fear from any of those gods, those false gods, because there's only one god and it's their god. This is going to be so encouraging and comforting to the Hebrew people as they transition from slavery in Egypt to this prospect of entering Canaan. And uh, they're, they're faced with questions and doubts and fears about their God and how their God's going to handle uh, the gods of Canaan. I mean, after all, it didn't appear that their God did so well against the gods of Egypt, at least not for 400 years. I mean, the 10 plagues and the crossing to the Red Sea, all that was great. But but what about the gods of Canaan? Maybe their gods are powerful. So, 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 so Moses is answering all that. And they needed to know that Yahweh could be trusted, that nothing could hinder God's purposes for their lives. And there was no other gods in existence that could stand against God or inhibit his plans for them. Now listen. That's exactly the same thing with you and me. Don't ever fear that there's something more powerful out there than God. Never, ever, ever, ever wonder. Listen, never wonder about anything that can get in the way of God's love for you. Listen to what Moses says. The Moses... The message of Moses to the people then is the same message of God to you and me today. By showing that the primary deities of those other cultures, you know, the sun, the moon, the stars, look, they're nothing more than lights in the sky. And God put them there. And they are good and beneficial for you and me as we go about our day. Uh, Moses, by, by talking about the sun, moon, and stars that way, he's showing them that they have nothing to fear from Yahweh because he is only and always looking out for their good. They had nothing to fear from those other gods, from those other nations, because they're not gods at all. They're just lights placed in the heavens by God. And that's going to be encouraging to you and me also. As we look towards our day, our struggles, our fears, 
Nothing can stand against God. Nothing can get in the way of His love, His grace, His mercy, and His forgiveness for you and for me. And there's definitely nothing to worry about whether or not there's going to be a tomorrow. Jesus talked about this day. Each day has enough trouble of its own, he said. Don't worry about tomorrow. God's got that in his hands. God's got it under control. Let God worry about those things. So that's Genesis 1, 14 through 19. We've got one more section, one more part to this study on these verses, these six verses. We'll pick that up. Uh, Next week in part three, we're going to see seven theological insights that Moses unveiled in these six verses. Really invite you to join us then. It's sort of the conclusion. We wrap it all up, look at these seven insights, and they're going to be really encouraging for you and me as we learn what Moses taught the Hebrew people so many thousands of years ago. Listen, I hope this episode is really encouraging to you. If it was, I'd really enjoy it. I'd appreciate it if you would... uh, Leave a rating and review on iTunes. Lots of people have done that already, and uh, each one's encouraging. But it also helps other people find it so that they too can be encouraged by what Moses, by what God is saying to us today in this amazing text in Genesis 1. And uh, boy, if you've already left the rating and review, thank you very much. Please share this episode with your friends, family, anybody else, Facebook, Twitter, or just by word of mouth, email, whatever. That's going to help them be encouraged as well. Thank you for listening. See you next week when we finish this study of Genesis 1, 14 through 19.